Hello, listener. Thank you for listening to our content. Remember to follow us here on the platform. We prepared a graphic of the book with the author's key points and main ideas. Click that book graphic link in description now and have access to an illustrated material with simple and easy steps so you know everything about the book in minutes. In The Power of Now, author sage Eckhart Tal uses words to guide readers beyond words. Pointing to the portals of the, of the, the eternal present, this practical mystic's modern gospel offers transcendent truths that set us free. Point seven, Dan Millman, author of Everyday Enlightenment and the Laws of Spirit. Dollar two I point ninety five. To make the journey into the power of now, we will need to leave our analytical mind and its false created self, the ego, behind. From the beginning of the first chapter, we move rapidly into a signify-cantly higher altitude where one breathes a lighter air, the air of the spiritual. Although the journey is challenging, Eckhart Tal offers simple language and a question-and-answer format to guide us. The words themselves are the signposts. For many of us, there are new discoveries to be made along the way. We are not our mind. We can find our way out of psychological pain. Authentic human power is found by surrendering to the now. We also find out that the body is actually one of the keys to entry into a state of inner peace, as are the silence and space all around us. Indeed, access is everywhere available. These access points, or portals, can all be used to bring us into the now, the present moment, where problems do not exist. It is here we find our joy and are able to Embrace our true selves. It is here we discover that we are already complete and perfect. Many of us will find that our biggest obstacle to this realization is our relationships, especially our intimate relationships. But again, we are in new territory, and all is not what it had seemed before. We come to see that our relationships are yet another doorway into spiritual enlightenment if we use them wisely meaning if we use them to become more conscious and therefore more loving human beings. The result. Real communion between self and others. If we are able to be fully present and take each step in the now, if we are able to feel the reality of such things as the inner body, surrender, forgiveness, and the unmanifested, we will be opening ourselves to the transforming experience of the power of now. Digitized by the Internet Archive. In 2011, http colon double forward slash www.archive.org forward slash details forward slash power off now Earlier claim for the power of now. If I were allotted only one book, I would choose Eckhart Tal's The Power of Now. Why? Because this book emanates a spirit of love not only through its words, but in the spaces between the words. No book has touched me, nor embraced me as this one has. Patricia Gordon, Calgary, Alberta This book offers us a wonderful gift, but we must have the courage to seize it. I encourage you to accept this gift. I believe our very survival on this planet is dependent on the inner journey that Eckhart Tal is urging us to take. Bill Carpenter, businessman and fellow spiritual seeker. 
I found this book to be a wonderful perspective for people like me who wish to integrate the message delivered so eloquently by A Course in Miracles and Deepak Chopra's Seven Spiritual Laws of Success. Every time I return to a segment of the book, I am surprised to find a new deeper meaning than the previous read. Jean-Pierre Leblanc, CEO, Sage, manufacturer and retail chain of natural health products. This manuscript is like a collection of daily bread in that the gleanings of knowledge that are made available by Eckhart are in a spiritually digestible form of question and answer. These conscious awareness triggers are a must-read in this present age of truth-seekers. David L. Jones, author of A Warrior in the Land of Disease. The book gave me comfort and inspired me no end and gave me insight after insight regarding my own personal journey. It was a revelation and a joy to read. Albert Koopman, Business Executive I have searched for meaning, well-being, health and life, but unfortunately I was searching outside myself. The power of now has shown me how to find life's elusive treasures within. John Kuchentel Organizational Development Consultant J.H.E.P.O.E.R.K. The Power of A Guide to Spiritual Enlightenment Eckhart Tal. You are here to enable the divine purpose of the universe to unfold. That is how important you are. Eckhart Tal. Publishers Preface By Mark Allen author of Visionary Business and a Visionary Life. Perhaps once in a decade, or even once in a generation, a book like The Power of Now comes along. It is more than a book, there is a living energy in it, one you can probably feel as you hold it. It has the power to create an experience in readers and change their lives for the better. The Power of Now was first published in Canada, and the Canadian publisher, Connie Kello, told me she heard repeated stories of positive changes and even miracles that have happened once people got into the book. Readers call in, she said. And so many of them tell me of the wonderful healings, transformations, and increased joy they are experiencing because they have embraced this book. The book makes me aware that every moment of my life is a miracle. This is absolutely true, whether I realize it or not. And the power of now, over and over, shows me how to realize it. From the first page of his writing, it is clear that Eckhart Tal is a contemporary master. He is not aligned with any particular rally. Jion or doctrine or guru, his teaching embraces the heart, the essence, of all other traditions, and contradicts none of them, Christian, Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim, indigenous, or anything else. He is able to do what all the great masters have done, to show us, in simple and clear language, that the way, the truth, and the light is within us. 13. The Power of Now Eckhart Tal begins by briefly introducing us to his story, a story of early depression and despair that culminated in a Tremend Dao's experience of awakening one night not long after his 29th birthday. For the past 20 years, he has reflected on that experience, meditated, and deepened his understanding. In the last decade, he has become a world-class teacher, a great soul with a great message, one that Christ taught 
one that Buddha taught, a state of enlightenment is attainable, here and now. It is pos sible to live free of suffering, free of anxiety and neurosis. To do this, we have to come to understand our role as the creator of our pain. Our own mind causes our problems, not other people, not the world out there. It is our own mind, with its nearly constant stream of thoughts, thinking about the past, worrying about the future. We make the great mistake of identifying with our mind, thinking that s who we are, when, in fact, we are far greater beings. Over and over, Eckhart Tal shows us how to connect with what he calls our being. Being is the eternal, ever-present one life beyond the myriad forms of life that are subject to birth and death. However, being is not only beyond, but also deep within every form as its innermost invisible and indestructible essence. This means that it is accessible to you now as your own deepest self, your true nature. But don't seek to grasp it with your mind. Don't try to understand it. You can know it only when the mind is still, when you are present, fully and intensely in the now. To regain awareness of being and to abide in that state of feeling realization is enlightenment. The power of now is nearly impossible to read straight through. It requires you to put it down periodically and reflect on the words and apply them to your own life experience. It is a complete guide, a complete course in meditation and realization. It is a book to be. 14. PRFAC-E Revisit it again and again, and each time you revisit it, you gain new depth and meaning. It is a book that many people, including me, will want to study for a lifetime. The Power of Now has a growing number of devoted readers. It has already been called a masterpiece. Whatever it is called, however it is described, it is a book with the power to change lives, the power to awaken us to fully realize who we are. Mark Allen Novato, California, USA August 1999 15. Forward By Russell E. DiCarlo Author of Towards a New World View Blanketed by an azure sky, the orange-yellow rays of the setting sun can, at special times, gift us with a moment of such considerable beauty, we find ourselves momentarily stunned, with frozen gaze. The splendor of the moment so dazzles us, our compulsively chattering minds give pause, so as not to mentally whisk us away to a place other than the here and now. Bathed in lum incense, a door seems to open to another reality, always present, yet rarely witnessed. Abraham Maslow called these peak experiences, since they represent the high moments of life where we joyfully find ourselves catapulted beyond the confines of the mundane and ordinary. He might just as well have called them peak experiences. During these expansive occasions, we sneak a glimpse of the eternal realm of being itself. If only for a brief moment in time, we come home to our true self. Ah, one might sigh, so grand, if only I could stay here. But how do I take up permanent residence? During the past ten years, I have committed myself to finding out. During my search, I have been honored to engage in dialogue with some of the most daring, 
inspiring and insightful paradigm pioneers of our time in medicine, science, psychology, business, religion and spirituality, and human potential. This diverse group of individuals is joined by their commonly voiced insight that human itty is now taking a quantum leap forward in its evolutionary development. This change is accompanied by a shift in worldview, the 17. The power of now. Basic picture we carry with us of the way things are. A worldview seeks to answer two fundamental questions. Who are we? And what is the nature of the universe in which we live? Our answers to these questions dictate the quality and characteristics of our personal relationships with family, friends and employers employees. When considered on a larger scale, they define societies. It should be of little surprise that the worldview, which is emerging calls into question many of the things Western society holds to be true. MYTH number 1 Humanity has reached the pinnacle of its development. SRLN co-founder Michael Murphy, drawing upon comparative religious studies, medical science, anthropology, and sports, has made a provocative case that there are more advanced stages of human development. As a person reaches these advanced levels of spiritual maturity, extraordinary capacities begin to blossom, of love, vitality, personhood, bodily awareness, intuition, perception, communication, and volition. First step, to recognize they exist. Most people do not. Then, methods can be employed with conscious intention. MYTH number 2 We are completely separate from each other, nature, and the cosmos. This myth of other than me has been responsible for wars, the rape of the planet, and all forms and expressions of human injustice. After all, who in their right mind would harm another if they experienced that person as part of themselves? Stan Groff, in his research of non-ordinary states of consciousness, summarizes by saying the psyche and consciousness of each office is, in the last analysis, commensurate with all that is, because there are no absolute boundaries between the body, ego and the totality of existence. Dr. Larry Doss, S. Era 3 Medicine, Where the Thoughts, Attitudes. 18. Forward. And healing intentions of one individual can influence the physiology of another person, in contrast to Era 2. Prevailing mind-body medicine is very well supported by scientific studies into the healing power of prayer. Now this carved happen according to the known principles of physics and worldview of traditional science. Yet the preponderance of evidence suggests that indeed it does. MYTH number 3 The physical world is all there is. Materialistically bound, traditional science assumes that anything that cannot be measured, tested in a laboratory, or probed by the five senses, or their technological extensions simply doesn't exist. If S not real, the consequence, all of reality has been collapsed into physical reality. Spiritual, or what I would call non-physical, dimensions of reality have been run out of town. This clashes with the perennial philosophy, that philosophical consensus spanning ages, religions, traditions, and cultures, which describes different, but continuous dimensions of reality. These run from the most dense and least conscious, what we'd call matter, to the least dense and most conscious, 
which would call spiritual. Interestingly enough, this extended, multidimensional model of reality is suggested by quantum theorists, such as Jack Scarfetti, who describes superluminal travel. Other dimensions of reality are used to explain travel that occurs faster than the speed of light. The ulti. Mate of speed limits. Or consider the work of the legendary physicist, David Bohm, with his explicate, physical, and implicate, non-physical, multidimensional model of reality. This is no mere theory. The 1982 aspect experiment in France demonstrated that two once-connected quantum particles separated by vast distances remain somehow connected. If one particle was changed, the other changed instantly. Scientists don't know the mechanics of how this faster-than-the-speed-of-light travel can happen, though some theorists suggest that this connection takes place via doorways into higher dimensions. 19. The power of now. So, contrary to what those who pledge their allegiance to the traditional paradigm might think, the influential, pioneering individuals. I spoke with felt that we have not reached the pinnacle of human development, we are connected, rather than separate, from all of life, and that the full spectrum of consciousness encompasses both Phi's eichel and a multitude of non-physical dimensions of reality. At core, this new worldview involves seeing yourself, others, and all off-life, not through the eyes of our small, earthly self that lives in time and is born in time but rather through the eyes of the soul, our being, the true self. One by one, people are jumping to this higher orbit, with his book, The Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle rightfully takes his place among this special group of world-class teachers. Eckhart's message, the problem of humanity is deeply rooted in the mind itself. Or rather, our misidentification with mind. Our drifting awareness, our tendency to take the path of least resistance by being less than fully awake to the present moment, creates a void. And the time-bound mind, which has been designed to be a useful servant, compensates by proclaiming itself master. Like a butterfly flittering from one flower to another, the mind engages past experiences, or, projecting its own made-for-television movie, Antisai. Pates what is to come. Seldom do we find ourselves resting in the oceanic depth of the here and now. For it is here, in the now, where we find our true self, which lies behind our physical body, shifting emotions, and chattering mind. The crowning glory of human development rests not in our abilitai to reason and think, though this is what distinguishes us from animals. Intellect, like instinct, is merely a point along the way. Our ultimate destiny is to reconnect with our essential being and express from our extraordinary, divine reality in the ordinary physical world, moment by moment. Easy to say, yet rare are those who have attained the further reaches of human development. Fortunately, there are guides and teachers to help us along the 20. Forward Way As a teacher and guide, Eckhart's formidable power lies not in his adaptability to delight us with entertaining stories, make the abstract concrete, or provide useful technique. Rather, his magic is seated in his personal experience, as one who knows. As a result, 
There is a power behind his words found only in the most celebrated of spiritual teachers. By living from the depths of this greater reality, Eckhart clears an energetic pathway for others to join him. And what if others do? Surely the world as we know it would change for the better. Values would shift in the flotsam of vanishing fears that have been funneled away through the whirlpool of being itself. A new civilization would be born. Where's the proof of this greater reality, you ask? I offer only an analogy. A battery of scientists can get together and tell you about all the scientific proof for the fact that bananas are bitter. But all you have to do is taste one, once, to realize that there is this whole other aspect to bananas. Ultimately, proof lies not in intellectual arguments, but in being touched in some way by the sacred within and without. Eckhart Tal masterfully opens us to that possibility. Russell E. DiCarlo author, Towards a New Worldview, Conversations at the Leading Edge Erie, Pennsylvania, USA. January 1998. XXI. Acknowledgements. I am deeply thankful to Connie Kello for her loving support and her vital part in transforming the manuscript into this book and bringing it out into the world. It is a joy to work with her. I extend my gratitude to Coria Ladner and those wonderful P.O. Plea who have contributed to this book by giving me space, that most precious of gifts, space to write and space to hear. Thank you to Adrienne Bradley in Vancouver, to Margaret Miller in London and Angie Francesco in Glastonbury, England, Richard in Menlo Park and Rennie Frumkin in Sausalito, California. I am also thankful to Shirley Spaxman and Howard Kello for their early review of the manuscript and helpful feedback, as well as to those individuals who were kind enough to review the manuscript at a later stage and provide additional input. Thank you to Rose Denderwich for word processing the manuscript in her unique, cheerful and professional manner. Finally, I would like to express my love and gratitude to my mother and father, without whom this book would not have come to existence, to my spiritual teachers, and to the greatest guru of all, life. 23. The Power of Introduction The Origin of This Book I have little use for the past and rarely think about it, however, I would briefly like to tell you how I came to be a spiritual teacher and how this book came into existence. Until my thirtieth year, I lived in a state of almost continuous anxiety interspersed with periods of suicidal depression. It feels now as if I am talking about some past lifetime or somebody else's life. One night not long after my 29th birthday, I woke up in the early hours with a feeling of absolute dread. I had woken up with such a feeling many times before, but this time it was more intense than it had ever been. The silence of the night, the vague outlines of the furniture in the dark room, the distant noise of a passing train. Everything felt so alien, so hostile, and so utterly meaningless that it created in me a deep loathing of the world. The most loathsome thing of all, however, was my own existence. What was the point in continuing to live with this burden of misery? Why carry on with this continuous struggle? I could feel that a deep longing for annihilation, 
for non-existence, was now becoming much stronger than the instinctive desire to continue to live. I cannot live with myself any longer. This was the thought that kept repeating itself in my mind. Then suddenly I became aware of what a peculiar thought it was. Am I one or two? If I cannot live with myself, there must be two of me, the T and the self that T cannot live with. Maybe, I thought, only one of them is real. The power of now. I was so stunned by this strange realization that my mind stopped. I was fully conscious, but there were no more thoughts. Then I felt drawn into what seemed like a vortex of energy. It was a slow movement at first and then accelerated. I was gripped by an intense fear, and my body started to shake. I heard the words, resist nothing, as if spoken inside my chest. I could feel myself being sucked into a void. It felt as if the void was inside myself rather than outside. Suddenly, there was no more fear, and I let myself fall into that void. I have no recollection of what happened after that. I was awakened by the chirping of a bird outside the window. I had never heard such a sound before. My eyes were still closed, and I saw the image of a precious diamond. Yes, if a diamond could make a sound, this is what it would be like. I opened my eyes. The first light of dawn was filtering through the curtains. Without any thought, I felt, I knew, that there is infinitely more to light than we realize. That soft luminosity filtering through the curtains was love itself. Tears came into my eyes. I got up and walked around the room. I recognized the room, and yet I knew that I had never truly seen it before. Everything was fresh and pristine, as if it had just come into excess tents. I picked up things, a pencil, an empty bottle, marveling at the beauty and aliveness of it all. That day I walked around the city in utter amazement at the mere acre of life on earth, as if I had just been born into this world. For the next five months, I lived in a state of uninterrupted deep peace and bliss. After that, it diminished somewhat in intensity, or perhaps it just seemed to because it became my natural state. I could. Hello, listener. Thank you for listening to our content. Remember to follow us here on the platform. We prepared a graphic of the book with the author's key points and main ideas. Click that book graphic link in description now and have access to an illustrated material with simple and easy steps so you know everything about the book in minutes. Still function in the world, although I realized that nothing I ever did could possibly add anything to what I already had. I knew, of course, that something profoundly significant had happened to me, but I didn't understand it at all. It wasn't until several years later, after I had read spiritual texts and spent time with spiritual teachers, that I realized that what everybody was looking for had already happened to me. I understood that the intense pressure of suffering that night must have forced my consciousness to with. Introduction Draw from its identification with the unhappy and deeply fearful self, which is ultimately a fiction of the mind. This withdrawal must have been so complete that this false, suffering self immediately collapsed, 
just as if a plug had been pulled out of an inflatable toy. What was left then was my true nature, as the ever-present I am, consciousness in its pure state prior to identification with form. Later I also learned to go into that inner timeless and deathless realm that I had originally perceived as a void and remain fully conscious. I dwelt in states of such indescribable bliss and sacredness that even the original experience I just described pales in comparison. A time came when, for a while, I was left with nothing on the physical plane. I had no relationships, no job, no home, no socially defined identity. I spent almost two years sitting on park benches in a state of the most intense joy. But even the most beautiful experiences come and go. More fun. Demental, perhaps, than any experience is the undercurrent of peace. That has never left me since then. Sometimes it is very strong, almost palpable, and others can feel it too. At other times, it is somewhere in the background, like a distant melody. Later, people would occasionally come up to me and say, I want what you have. Can you give it to me, or show me how to get it? And? I would say, you have it already. You just can't feel it because your mind is making too much noise. That answer later grew into the book that you are holding in your hands. Before I knew it, I had an external identity again. I had become a spiritual teacher. The truth that is within you. This book represents the essence of my work, as far as it can be conveyed in words, with individuals and small groups of spiritual seekers during the past 10 years, in Europe and in North America. In deep love and appreciation, I would like to thank those exceptional people for their courage, their willingness to embrace inner change. The power of now. Their challenging questions, and their readiness to listen. This book would not have come into existence without them. They belong to what is as yet a small, but fortunately growing minority of spiritual pioneers, people who are reaching a point where they become capable of breaking out of inherited collective mind patterns that have kept humans in bondage to suffering for eons. I trust that this book will find its way to those who are ready for such radical inner transformation and so act as a catalyst for it. I also hope that it will reach many others who will find its content worthy of consideration, although they may not be ready to fully live or practice it. It is possible that at a later time, the seed that was sown when reading this book will merge with the seed of enlightenment that each human being carries within, and suddenly that seed will sprout and come alive within them. The book in its present form originated, often spontaneously, in response to questions asked by individuals in seminars, meditation classes, and private counseling sessions. And so I have kept the question and answer format. I learned and received as much in those classes and sessions as the questioners. Some of the questions and answers I wrote down almost verbatim. Others are generic, which is to say I combined certain types of questions that were frequently asked into one, and extracted the essence from different answers to form one generic answer. Sometimes, in the process of writing, an entirely new answer came that was more profound or insightful than anything I had ever uttered. Some additional questions were asked by the editor so as to provide further clarification of certain points.
You will find that from the first to the last page, the dialogues continuously alternate between two different levels. On one level, I draw your attention to what is false in you. I speak of the nature of human unconsciousness and dysfunction, as well as its most common behavioral manifestations, from conflict in relationships to warfare between tribes or nations. Such knowledge is vital, for unless you learn to recognize the false as false, as not you. Introduction There can be no lasting transformation, and you would always end up being drawn back into illusion and into some form of pain. On this level, I also show you how not to make that which is false in you into a self and into a personal problem, for that is how the false perpetuates itself. On another level, I speak of a profound transformation of human consciousness, not as a distant future possibility, but available now, no matter who or where you are. You are shown how to free yourself from enslavement to the mind, enter into this enlightened state of consciousness, and sustain it in everyday life. On this level of the book, the words are not always concerned with information, but often designed to draw you into this new consciousness, as you read. Again and again, I endeavor to take you with me into that timeless state of intense conscious presence in the now, so as to give you a taste of enlightenment. Until you are able to exp. Reense what I speak of, you may find those passages somewhat repet. Itiv. As soon as you do, however, I believe you will realize that they contain a great deal of spiritual power, and they may become for you the most rewarding parts of the book. Moreover, since every person carries the seed of enlightenment within, I often address myself to the knower in you who dwells behind the thinker, the deeper self that immediately recognizes spiritual truth, resonates with it, and gains strength from it. The poor symbol, after certain passages, is a suggestion that you may want to stop reading for a moment, become still, and feel and experience the truth of what has just been said. There may be other places in the text where you will do this naturally and spontaneously. As you begin reading the book, the meaning of certain words, such as being or presence, may not be entirely clear to you at first. Just read on. Questions or objections may occasionally come into your mind as you read. They will probably be answered later in the book, or they may turn out to be irrelevant as you go more deeply into the teaching and into yourself. The power of now. Don't read with the mind only. Watch out for any feeling response as you read and a sense of recognition from deep within. I cannot tell you any spiritual truth that deep within you doft know already. All I can do is remind you of what you have forgotten. Living knowledge, ancient and yet ever new, is then activated and released from within every cell of your body. The mind always wants to categorize and compare, but this book will work better for you if you do not attempt to compare its terminology with that of other teachings, otherwise, you will probably become confused. I use words such as mind, happiness, and consciousness in ways that do not necessarily correlate with other teachings. Don't get attached to any words. They are only stepping stones to be left behind as quickly as possible. When I occasionally quote the words of Jesus or the Buddha, from a course in miracles or from other teachings, I do so not in order. To compare, 
but to draw your attention to the fact that in essence there is and always has been only one spiritual teaching, although it comes in many forms. Some of these forms, such as the ancient religions, have become so overlaid with extraneous matter that their spiritual essence has become almost completely obscured by it. To a large extent, therefore, their deeper meaning is no longer recognized and their transformative power lost. When I quote from the ancient religions or other teachings, it is to reveal their deeper meaning and thereby restore their transformative power, particularly for those readers who are followers of these religions or teachings. I say to them, there is no need to go elsewhere for the truth. Let me show you how to go more deeply into what you already have. Mostly, however, I have endeavored to use terminology that is as neutral as possible in order to reach a wide range of people. This book can be seen as a restatement for our time of that one timeless spirit. Dual Teaching, the Essence of All Religions It is not derived from exter. Now sources, but from the one true source within, so it contains no theory or speculation. I speak from inner experience, and if at times I speak forcefully, it is to cut through heavy layers of mental rhesus. Introduction Tans and to reach that place within you where you already know, just as I know, and where the truth is recognized when it is heard. There is then a feeling of exaltation and heightened aliveness, as something within you says, yes, I know this is true. Chapter 1 You are not your mind. The greatest obstacle to enlightenment. Enlightenment, what is that? A beggar had been sitting by the side of a road for over thirty years. One day a stranger walked by. Spare some change, mumbled the beggar, mechanically holding out his old baseball cap. I have nothing to give you, said the stranger. Then he asked, what a s that you are sitting on? Nothing, replied the beggar. Just an old box. I have been sitting on it for as long as I can remember. Ever looked inside, asked the stranger. No, said the beggar. What's the point? There's nothing in there. Have a look inside, insisted the stranger. The beggar managed to pry open the lid. With astonishment, disbelief, and elation, he saw that the box was filled with gold. I am that stranger, who has nothing to give you, and who is telling you to look inside. Not inside any box, as in the parable, but somewhere even closer, inside yourself. But I am not a beggar, I can hear you say. Those who have not found their true wealth, which is the radiant. Joy of being in the deep, unshakable peace that comes with it, are Beggars, even if they have great material wealth. They are looking outside for scraps of pleasure or fulfillment, for validation, security, or love, while they have a treasure within that not only includes all those things, but is infinitely greater than anything the world can offer. The Power of Now the word enlightenment conjures up the idea of some superhuman accomplishment, and the ego likes to keep it that way, but it is simply your natural state awful to oneness with being. It is a state of connectedness with something immeasurable and indestructible, something that, almost paradoxically, is essentially you and yet is much.
greater than you. It is finding your true nature beyond name and form. The inability to feel this connectedness gives rise to the illusion of separation from yourself and from the world around you. You then perceive yourself, consciously or unconsciously, as an isolated fragment. Fear arises, and conflict within and without becomes the norm. I love the Buddha's simple definition of enlightenment as the end of suffering. There is nothing superhuman in that, is there? Of course, as a definition, it is incomplete. It only tells you what enlightenment is not, no suffering. But waffs left when there is no more suffering. The Buddha is silent on that, and his silence implies that you'll have to find out for yourself. He uses a negative definition so that the mind cannot make it into something to believe in or into a superhuman accomplishment, a goal that is impossible for you to attain. Despite this precaution, the majority of Buddhists still believe. That enlightenment is for the Buddha, not for them, at least not in this lifetime. You used the word being. Can you explain what you mean by that? Being is the eternal, ever-present one life beyond the myriad forms of life that are subject to birth and death. However, being is not only beyond, but also deep within every form as its innermost invisible and indestructible essence. This means that it is accessible to you now as your own deepest self, your true nature. But don't seek to grasp it with your mind. Don't try to understand it. You can know it only when the mind is still. When you are present, when your attention is fully and intensely in the now, being can be felt, but it can never be understood mentally. To regain awareness of being and to abide in that state of feeling realization is enlightenment. 10. You are not your mind. When you say being, are you talking about God? If you are, then why don't you say it? The word God has become empty of meaning through thousands of years of misuse. I use it sometimes, but I do so sparingly. By misuse, I mean that people who have never even glimpsed the realm of the sacred, the infinite vastness behind that word, use it with great conviction, as if they knew what they are talking about. Or they argue against it, as if they knew what it is that they are denying. This misuse gives rise to absurd beliefs, assertions, and egoic delusions, such as my or our God is the only true God, and your God is false, or Nietzsche's famous statement God is dead. The word God has become a closed concept. The moment the word is uttered, a mental image is created, no longer, perhaps, of an old man with a white beard, but still a mental representation of someone or something outside you, and yes, almost inevitably a male someone or something. Neither God nor being nor any other word can define or explain the ineffable reality behind the word, so the only important question is whether the word is a help or a hindrance in enabling you to experience that toward which it points. Does it point beyond itself to that transcendental reality, or does it lend itself too easily to becoming no more than an idea in your head that you believe in, a mental idol? The word being explains nothing, but nor does God. Being, however, has the advantage that it is an open concept. It does not reduce the infinite invisible to a finite entity. It is impossible to form a mental image of it. 
Nobody can claim exclusive possession of being. It is your very essence, and it is immediately accessible to you as the feeling of your own presence, the realization I am that is prior to I am this or I am that. So it is only a small step from the word being to the experience of being. 11. The power of now. What is the greatest obstacle to experiencing this reality? Identification with your mind, which causes thought to become compulsive. Not to be able to stop thinking is a dreadful affliction, but we don't realize this because almost everybody is suffering from it, so it is considered normal. This incessant mental noise prevents you from finding that realm of inner stillness that is inseparable from being. It also creates a false mind-made self that casts a shadow of fear and suffering. We will look at all that in more detail later. The philosopher Descartes believed that he had found the most fundamental truth when he made his famous statement, I think, therefore I am. He had, in fact, given expression to the most basic error to equate thinking with being an identity with thinking. The compulsive thinker, which means almost everyone, lives in a state of apparent separateness, in an insanely complex world of continuous problems and conflict, a world that reflects the ever-increasing frag. Mentation of the mind. Enlightenment is a state of wholeness, of being at one and therefore at peace. At one with life in its manifest aspect, the world, as well as with your deepest self and life unmanifested, at one with being. Enlightenment is not only the end of suffering and of continuous conflict within and without, but also the end of the dreadful enslavement to incessant thinking. What an incredible liberation this is. Identification with your mind creates an opaque screen of concepts, labels, images, words, judgments, and definitions that blocks all true relationship. It comes between you and yourself, between you and your fellow man and woman, between you and nature, between you and God. It is this screen of thought that creates the illusion of separateness, the illusion that there is you and a totally separate other. You then forget. 12. You are not your mind. The essential fact that, underneath the level of physical appearances and separate forms, you are one with all that is. By forget, I mean that you can no longer feel this oneness as self-evident reality. You may believe it to be true, but you no longer know it to be true. A belief may be comforting. Only through your own experience, however, does it become lib-irriting. Thinking has become a disease. Disease happens when things get out of balance. For example, there's nothing wrong with cells dividing and multiplying in the body, but when this process continues in disregard of the total organism, cells proliferate, and we have disease. Note, the mind is a superb instrument if used rightly. Used wrongly, however, it becomes very destructive. To put it more accurately, it is not so much that you use your mind wrongly, you use your ally Dorit use it at all. It uses you. This is the disease. You believe that you are your mind. This is the delusion. The instrument has taken. You over. I don't quite agree. It is true that I do a lot of aimless thinking, like most people, but I can still choose to use my mind to get and accomplish things, and I do that all the time.
Just because you can solve a crossword puzzle or build an atom bomb doesn't mean that you use your mind. Just as dogs love to chew bones, the mind loves to get its teeth into problems. That's why it does crossword puzzles and builds atom bombs. You have no inter in either. Let me ask you this, can you be free of your mind whenever you want to? Have you found the off button? You mean stop thinking altogether? No, I can't, except maybe for a moment or two. Then the mind is using you. You are unconsciously identified with it, so you don't even know that you are its slave. IFS almost as if you were. 13. The power of now. Possessed without knowing it, and so you take the possessing entity to be yourself. The beginning or freedom is the realization that you are not the possessing entity, the thinker. Knowing this enables you to observe the entity. The moment you start watching the thinker, a higher level of consciousness becomes activated. You then begin to realize that there is a vast realm of intelligence beyond thought, that thought is only a tiny aspect of that intelligence. You also realize that all the things that truly matter, beauty, love, creativity, joy, inner peace, arise from beyond the mind. You begin to awaken. Freeing yourself from your mind. What exactly do you mean by watching the thinker? When someone goes to the doctor and says, I hear a voice in my head, he or she will most likely be sent to a psychiatrist. The fact is that, in a very similar way, virtually everyone hears a voice, or several voices, in their head all the time, the involuntary thought processes, that you don't realize you have the power to stop. Continuous monologues or dialogues. You have probably come across mad people in the street incessantly talking or muttering to themselves. Well, that's not much different from what you and all other normal people do, except that you don't do it out loud. The voice comments, speculates, judges, compares, complains, likes, dislikes, and so on. The voice isn't any CS really relevant to the situation you find yourself in at the time, it may be reviving the recent, or distant past, or rehearsing or imagining possible future situations. Here it often imagines things going wrong and negative outcomes, this is called worry. Sometimes this soundtrack is accompanied by visual images or mental movies. 14. You are not your mind. Even if the voice is relevant to the situation at hand, it will interpret it in terms of the past. This is because the voice belongs to your conditioned mind, which is the result of all your past history, as well as of the collective cultural mindset you inherited. So you see and judge the present through the eyes of the past and get a totally distorted view of it. It is not uncommon for the voice to be a person's own worst enemy. Many people live with a tormentor in their head that continuously attacks and punishes them and drains them of vital energy. It is the cause of untold misery and unhappiness, as well as of disease. The good news is that you can free yourself from your mind. This is the only true liberation. You can take the first step right now. Start listening to the voice in your head as often as you can. Pay particular attention to any repetitive thought patterns, 
those old gramophone records that have been playing in your head perhaps for many years. This is what I mean by watching the thinker, which is another way of saying, listen to the voice in your head, be there as the witnessing presence. When you listen to that voice, listen to it impartially. That is to say, do not judge. Do not judge or condemn what you hear, for doing so would mean that the same voice has come in again through the back door. You'll soon realize, there is the voice, and here I am Lee's tending to it, watching it. This I am realization, this sense of your own presence, is not a thought. It arises from beyond the mind. So when you listen to a thought, you are aware not only of the thought, but also of yourself as the witness of the thought. A new dimension of consciousness has come in. As you listen to the thought, you feel a conscious presence, your deeper self, behind or underneath the thought, as it were. The thought then loses its. 15. The power of now. Power over you and quickly subsides, because you are no longer energizing the mind through identification with it. This is the beginning of the end of involuntary and compulsive thinking. When a thought subsides, you experience a discontinuity in the mental stream, a gap of no mind. At first, the gaps will be short, a few seconds perhaps, but gradually they will become longer. When these gaps occur, you feel a certain stillness and peace inside you. This is the beginning of your natural state of felt oneness with being, which is usually obscured by the mind. With practice, the sense of stillness and peace will deepen. In fact, there is no end to its depth. You will also feel a subtle emanation of joy arising from deep within, the joy of being. It is not a trance-like state. Not at all. There is no loss of consciousness here. The opposite is the case. If the price of peace were a lowering of your consciousness, and the price of stillness a lack of vitality and alertness, then they would not be worth having. In this state of inner connectedness, you are much more alert, more awake than in the mind-identified state. You are fully present. It also raises the vibratinal frequency of the energy field that gives life to the physical body. As you go more deeply into this realm of no mind, as it is some times called in the East, you realize the state of pure consciousness. In that state, you feel your own presence with such intensity and such joy that all thinking, all emotions, your physical body, as well as the whole external world become relatively insignificant in comparison to it. And yet this is not a selfish, but a selfless state. It takes you beyond what you previously thought of as yourself. That presence is essentially you, and at the same time inconceivably greater than you. What I am trying to convey here may sound paradoxical, or even contradictory, but there is no other way that I can express it. 16. You are not your mind. Instead of watching the thinker, you can also create a gap in the mind stream simply by directing the focus of your attention into the now. Just become intensely conscious of the present moment. This is a deeply satisfying thing to do. In this way, you draw consciousness away from mind activity and create a gap of no mind in which you are highly alert and aware, but not thinking. This is the essence of meditation. 
In your everyday life, you can practice this by taking any routine activity that normally is only a means to an end and giving it your fullest attention, so that it becomes an end in itself. For example, every time you walk up and down the stairs in your house or place of work, pay close attention to every step, every movement, even your breathing. Be totally present. Or when you wash your hands, pay attention to all the sense perceptions associated with the activity, the sound and feel of the water, the movement of your hands, the scent of the soap, and so on. Or when you get into your car, after you close the door, pause for a few seconds and observe the flow of your breath. Become aware of a silent but powerful sense of presence. There is one certain criterion by which you can measure your success in this practice, the degree of peace that you feel within. So the single most vital step on your journey toward enlightenment is this, learn to disidentify from your mind. Every time you create a gap in the stream of mind, the light of your consciousness grows stronger. One day you may catch yourself smiling at the voice in your head, as you would smile at the antics of a child. This means that you no longer take the content of your mind all that seriously, as your sense of self does not depend on it. 17. The Power of Now Enlightenment, Rising Above Thought Isn't thinking essential in order to survive in this world? Your mind is an instrument, a tool. It is there to be used for a specific task, and when the task is completed, you lay it down. As it is, I would say about 80 to 90 percent of most people's thinking is not only repetitive and useless, but because of its dysfunctional and often negative nature, much of it is also harmful. Observe your mind and you will find this to be true. It causes a serious leakage of vital energy. This kind of compulsive thinking is actually an addiction. What characterizes an addiction? Quite simply this, you no longer feel that you have the choice to stop. It seems stronger than you. It also gives you a false sense of pleasure, pleasure that invariably turns into pain. Why should we be addicted to thinking? Because you are identified with it, which means that you derive your sense of self from the content and activity of your mind. Because you believe that you would cease to be if you stopped thinking. As you grow up, you form a mental image of who you are, based on your personnel and cultural conditioning. We may call this phantom self the ego. It consists of mind activity and can only be kept going through constant thinking. The term ego means different things to different people, but when I use it here it means a false self, created by unconscious identification with the mind. To the ego, the present moment hardly exists. Only past and future are considered important. This total reversal of the truth accounts for the fact that in the ego mode the mind is so dysfunctional. It is always concerned with keeping the past alive, because without it, who are you? It constantly projects itself into the future to ensure its continued survival and to seek some kind of release or fulfillment there. It says, one day, when this, that, or the other hap pens, I am going to be okay, happy, at peace. Even when the ego seems to be concerned with the present, it is not the present that it. 18. 
You are not your mind. Sees, it misperceives it completely because it looks at it through the eyes of the past. Or it reduces the present to a means to an end, an end that always lies in the mind-projected future. Observe your mind and you'll see that this is how it works. The present moment holds the key to liberation. But you cannot find the present moment as long as you are your mind. Jay don't want to lose my ability to analyze and discriminate. I wouldn't mind learning to think more clearly, in a more focused way, but I don't want to lose my mind. The gift of taught is the most precious thing we have. Without it, we would just be another species of animal. The predominance of mind is no more than a stage in the evolution of consciousness. We need to go on to the next stage now, as a matter of urgency, otherwise, we will be destroyed by the mind, which has grown into a monster. I will talk about this in more detail later. Thinking and consciousness are not synonymous. Thinking is only a small aspect of consciousness. Thought cannot exist without consciousness, but consciousness does not need thought. Enlightenment means rising above thought, not falling back to a level below thought, the level of an animal or a plant. In the enlightened state, you still use your thinking mind when needed, but in a much more focused and effective way than before. You use it mostly for practical purposes, but you are free of the involuntary internal dialogue, and there is inner stillness. When you do use your mind, and particularly when a creative solution is needed, you oscillate every few minutes or so between thought and stillness, between mind and no. Mind. No mind is consciousness without thought. Only in that way is it possible to think creatively, because only in that way does thought have any real power. Thought alone, when it is no longer connected with the much vaster realm of consciousness, quickly becomes bar-ren, insane, destructive. The mind is essentially a survival machine. Attack and defense against other minds, gathering, storing, and analyzing information, this is what it is good at, but it is not at all creative. All True Artists 19. The Power of Now Whether they know it or not, create from a place of no mind, from inner stillness. The mind then gives form to the creative impulse or insight. Even the great scientists have reported that their creative breakthroughs came at a time of mental quietude. The surprising result of a nationwide inquiry among America's most eminent mathematicians, including Einstein, to find out their working meth ODS, was that thinking plays only a subordinate part in the brief, decisive phase of the creative act itself. One so I would say that the simply reason why the majority of scientists are not creative is not because they don't know how to think, but because they don't know how to stop thinking. It wasn't through the mind, through thinking, that the miracle that is life on earth or your body were created and are being sustained. There is clearly an intelligence at work that is far greater than the mind. How can a single human cell measuring 101,000 of an inch across contain instructions within its DNA that would fill 1,000? Books of 600 pages each. The more we learn about the workings of the body, the more we realize just how vast is the intelligence at work within it and how little we know. When the mind reconnects with that, it becomes a most wonderful tool. 
it then serves something greater than itself. Emotion, the body's reaction to your mind. What about emotions? I get caught up in my emotions more than I do in my mind. Mind, in the way I use the word, is not just thought. It includes your emotions, as well as all unconscious mental emotional reactive patterns. Emotion arises at the place where mind and body meet. It is the body's reaction to your mind, or you might say, a reflection of your mind in the body. For example, an attack thought or a hostile thought will create a buildup of energy in the body that we call anger. The body is getting ready to fight. The thought that you are being. 20. You are not your mind. Threatened, physically or psychologically, causes the body to contract, and this is the physical side of what we call fear. Research has shown that strong emotions even cause changes in the biochemistry of the body. These biochemical changes represent the physical or material aspect of the emotion. Of course, you are not usually conscious of all your thought patterns, and it is often only through watching your emotions that you can bring them into awareness. The more you are identified with your thinking, your likes and dislikes, judgments and interpretations, which is to say the less pre-sent you are, as the watching consciousness, the stronger the emotional energy charge will be, whether you are aware of it or not. If you cannot feel your emotions, if you are cut off from them, you will eventually experience them on a purely physical level, as a physical problem or symptom. A great deal has been written about this in recent years, so we don't need to go into it here. A strong unconscious emotional pattern may even manifest as an external event that appears to just happen to you. For example, I have observed that P.O. plea, who carry a lot of anger inside without being aware of it and without expressing it are more likely to be attacked, verbally or even physically, by other angry people, and often for no apparent reason. They have a strong emanation of anger that certain people pick up subliminally and that triggers their own latent anger. If you have difficulty feeling your emotions, start by focusing attention on the inner energy field of your body. Feel the body from within. This will also put you in touch with your emotions. We will explore this in more detail later. You say that an emotion is the mind's reflection in the body. But sometimes there is a conflict between the two. The mind says no while the emotion says yes, or the other way around. 21. The power of now. If you really want to know your mind, the body will always give you a truthful reflection, so look at the emotion or rather feel it in your body. If there is an apparent conflict between them, the thought will be the lie, the emotion will be the truth. Not the ultimate truth of who you are, but the relative truth of your state of mind at that time. Conflict between surface thoughts and unconscious mental processes is certainly common. You may not yet be able to bring your unconscious mind activity into awareness as thoughts, but it will always be reflected in the body as an emotion, and of this you can become aware. To watch an emotion in this way is basically the same as listening to or watching a thought, which I described earlier. The only difference is that, while a thought is in your head, an emotion has a strong physical component and so is primarily felt in the body. 
You can then allow the emotion to be there without being controlled by it. You no longer are the emotion, you are the watcher, the observing presence. If you practice this, all that is unconscious in you will be brought into the light of consciousness. So observing our emotions is as important as observing our thoughts. V. Yes. Make it a habit to ask yourself, what's going on inside me at this moment? That question will point you in the right direction. But don't analyze, just watch. Focus your attention within. Feel the energy of the emotion. If there is no emotion present, take your attention more deeply into the inner energy field of your body. It is the doorway into being. JF an emotion usually represents an amplified and energized thought pattern, and because of its often overpowering energetic charge, it is not easy initially to stay present enough to be able to watch it. It wants to take you over, and it usually succeeds, unless there is enough presence in you. If you are pulled into unconscious identification. 22. You are not your mind. With the emotion through lack of presence, which is normal, the emotion temporarily becomes you. Often a vicious circle builds up between your thinking and the emotion, they feed each other. The thought pattern creates a magnified reflection of itself in the form of an emotion, and the vibrational frequency of the emotion keeps feed eyeing the original thought pattern. By dwelling mentally on the situation, event, or person that is the perceived cause of the emotion, the thought feeds energy to the emotion, which in turn energizes the thought pattern, and so on. Basically, all emotions are modifications of one primordial, undifferentiated emotion that has its origin in the loss of awareness of who you are beyond name and form. Because of its undifferentiated nature, it is hard to find a name that precisely describes this emotion. Fear comes close, but apart from a continuous sense of threat, it also includes a deep sense of abandonment an carat inakwapup carat g carat gtd. Maybe best to use a term that is as undifferentiated as that basic emotion and simply call it pain. One of the main tasks of the mind is to fight or remove that emotional pain, which is one of the reasons for its incessant activity, but all it can ever achieve is to cover it up temporarily. In fact, the harder the mind struggles to get rid of the pain, the greater the pain. The mind can never find the solution, nor can it afford to allow you to find the solution, because it is itself an intrinsic part of the problem. Imagine a chief of police trying to find an arsonist when the arsonist is the chief of police. You will not be free of that pain until you cease to derive your sense of self from identification with the mind, which is to say from ego. The mind is then toppled from its place of power and being reveals itself as your true nature. Yes, I know what you are going to ask. I was going to ask, what about positive emotions such as love and joy? They are inseparable from your natural state of inner connectedness with being. Glimpses of love and joy or brief moments of deep peace are possible whenever a gap occurs in the stream of thought. Foremost. 23. The power of now. People. Such gaps happen rarely and only accidentally, in moments when the mind is rendered speechless, sometimes triggered by great beauty extreme physical exertion, 
or even great danger. Suddenly, there is inner stillness. And within that stillness there is a subtle but intense joy, there is love, there is peace. Usually, such moments are short-lived, as the mind quickly resumes its noise-making activity that we call thinking. Love, joy, and peace cannot flourish until you have freed yourself from mind dominance. But they are not what I would call emotions. They lie beyond the emotions, on a much deeper level. So you need to become fully concise of your emotions, and be able to feel them, before you can feel that which lies beyond them. Emotion literally means disturbance. The word comes from the Latin amuvia, meaning to disturb. Love, joy, and peace are deep states of being or rather three aspects of the state of inner connectedness with being. As such, they have no opposite. This is because they arise from beyond the mind. Emotions, on the other hand, being part of the dualistic mind, are subject to the law of opposites. This simply means that you cannot have good without bad. So in the unenlightened, mind-identified condition, what is sometimes wrongly called joy is the usually short-lived pleasure side of the continuously alternating pain, a pleasure cycle. Pleasure is always derived from something outside you, whereas joy arises from within. The very thing that gives you please sure today will give you pain tomorrow, or it will leave you, so its absence will give you pain. And what is often referred to as love may be pleasurable and exciting for a while, but it is an addictive clinging, an extremely needy condition that can turn into its opposite at the flick of a switch. Many love relationships, after the initial euphoria has passed, actually oscillate between love and hate, attraction and attack. Real love doesn't make you suffer. How could it? It doesn't sood. Deadly turn into hate, nor does real joy turn into pain. As I said, even. Before you are enlightened, before you have freed yourself from your mind, you may get glimpses of true joy, true love, or of a deep. 24. You are not your mind. Inner peace, still but vibrantly alive. These are aspects of your true nature, which is usually obscured by the mind. Even within a normal, addictive relationship, there can be moments when the presence of something more genuine, something incorruptible, can be felt. But they will only be glimpses, soon to be covered up again through mind interference. It may then seem that you had something very precious and lost it, or your mind may convince you that it was all an illusion anyway. The truth is that it wasn't an illusion, and you cannot lose it. It is part of your natural state, which can be obscured, but can never be destroyed by the mind. Even when the sky is heavily overcast, the sun has after disappeared. If they're still there on the other side of the clouds. The Buddha says that pain or suffering arises through desire or craving and that to be free of pain, we need to cut the bonds of desire. All cravings are the mind seeking salvation or fulfillment in external things and in the future as a substitute for the joy of being. As long as I am my mind, I am those cravings, those needs, wants, attachments, and aversions, and apart from them there is no I except as a mere possibility, an unfulfilled potential, a seed that has not yet sprouted. In that state, 
Even my desire to become free or enlightened is just another craving for fulfillment or completion in the future. So don't seek to become free of desire or achieve enlightenment. Become present. Be there as the observer of the mind. Instead of quoting the Buddha, be the Buddha, be the awakened one, which is what the word Buddha means. Humans have been in the grip of pain for eons, ever since they fell from the state of grace, entered the realm of time and mind, and lost awareness of being. At that point, they started to perceive themselves as meaningless fragments in an alien universe, unconnected. To the source and to each other. Pain is inevitable as long as you are identified with your mind, which is to say as long as you are unconscious, spiritually speaking. 25. The power of now. I am talking here primarily of emotional pain, which is also the main cause of physical pain and physical disease. Resentment, hatred, self-pity, guilt, anger, depression, jealousy, and so on, even the slightest irritation, are all forms of pain. And every pleasure or emotional high contains within itself the seed of pain, its inseparable opposite, which will manifest in time. Anybody who has ever taken drugs to get high will know that the high eventually turns into a low, that the pleasure turns into some form of pain. Many people also know from their own experience how easily and quickly an intimate relationship can turn from a source of pleasure to a source of pain. Seen from a higher perspective, both the negative and the positive polarities are faces of the same coin, are both part of the underlying pain that is inseparable from the mind-identified egoic state of consciousness. There are two levels to your pain, the pain that you create now, and the pain from the past that still lives on in your mind and body. Ceasing to create pain in the present and dissolving past pain, this is what I want to talk about now. 26. Chapter 2. Consciousness. The way out of pain. Create no more pain in the present. Nobody's life is entirely free of pain and sorrow. Isn't it a question of learning to live with them rather than trying to avoid them? The greater part of human pain is unnecessary. It is self-created as long as the unobserved mind runs your life. The pain that you create now is always some form of non-acceptance, some form of unconscious resistance to what is. On the level of thought, the resistance is some form of judgment. On the emotional level, it is some form of negativity. The intensity of the pain depends on the degree of resistance to the present moment, and this in turn depends on how strongly you are identified with your mind. The mind always seeks to deny the now and to escape from it. In other words, the more you are identified with your mind, the more you suffer. Or you may put it like this, the more you are able to honor and accept the now, the more you are free of pain, of suffering, and free of the egoic mind. Why does the mind habitually deny or resist the now? Because it cannot function and remain in control without time, which is past. And future, so it perceives the timeless now as threatening. Time and mind are in fact inseparable. Imagine the earth devoid of human life, inhabited only by plants and animals. Would it still have a past and a future? Could we still 
27. The power of now. Speak of time in any meaningful way. The question, what time is it, or what's the date today? If anybody were there to ask it, would be quite meaningless. The oak tree or the eagle would be bemused by such a question. What time, they would ask. Well, of course, IFS now. The time is now. What else is there? Yes, we need the mind as well as time to function in this world, but there comes a point where they take over our lives, and this is where dysfunction, pain, and sorrow set in. The mind, to ensure that it remains in control, seeks continue o usually to cover up the present moment with past and future, and so, as the vitality and infinite creative potential of being, which is inseparably from the now, becomes covered up by time, your true nature becomes obscured by the mind. An increasingly heavy burden of time has been accumulating in the human mind. All individuals are soft-foeing under this burden, but they also keep adding to it every moment whenever they ignore or deny that precious moment or reduce it to a means of getting to some future moment, which only exists in the mind, never in actuality. The accumulation of time in the collective an individual human mind also holds a vast amount of residual pain from the past. If you no longer want to create pain for yourself and others, if you no longer want to add to the residue of past pain that still lives on in you, then don't create any more time, or at least no more than is any necessary to deal with the practical aspects of your life. How to stop creating time? Realize deeply that the present moment is all you ever have. Make the now the primary focus of your life. Whereas before you dwelt in time and paid brief visits to the now, have your dwelling place in the now and pay brief visits to past and future when required to deal with the practical aspects of your life situation. Always say yes to the present moment. What could be more futile, more insane, than to create inner resistance to something that already is? What could be more insane than to oppose life itself, which is now and always now? Surrender to what is. Say yes to life, and see how life suddenly starts working for you rather than against you. 28. Consciousness, the way out of pain. The present moment is sometimes unacceptable, unpleasant, or awful. It is as it is. Observe how the mind labels it and how this labeling process, this continuous sitting in judgment, creates pain and unhappiness. By watching the mechanics of the mind, you step out of its resistance patterns, and you can then allow the present moment to be. This will give you a taste of the state of inner freedom from external conditions, the state of true inner peace. Then see what happens, and take action if necessary or possible. Accept, then act. Whatever the present moment contains, accept it as if you had chosen it. Always work with it, not against it. Make it your friend and ally, not your enemy. This will miraculously transform your whole life. S. Past pain, dissolving the pain body. As long as you are unable to access the power of the now, Every emotional pain that you experience leaves behind a residue of pain that lives on in you. It merges with the pain from the past, which was already there, 
and becomes lodged in your mind and body. This, of course, includes the pain you suffered as a child, caused by the unconsciousness of the world into which you were born. This accumulated pain is a negative energy field that occupies your body and mind. If you look on it as an invisible entity in its own right, you are getting quite close to the truth. If s the emotional pain. 29. The power of now. Body. It has two modes of being, dormant and active. A pain body may be dormant 90% of the time, in a deeply unhappy person, though, it may be active up to 100% of the time. Some people live almost entirely through their pain body, while others may experience it only in certain situations, such as intimate relationships, or situations linked with past loss, or abandonment, physical or emotional hurt, and so on. Anything can trigger it, particularly if it resonates with a pain pattern from your past. When it is ready to awaken from its dormant stage, even a thought or an innocent remark made by someone close to you can activate it. Some pain bodies are obnoxious, but relatively harmless, for example like a child who won't stop whining. Others are vicious and destructive monsters, true demons. Some are physically violent, many more are emotionally violent. Some will attack people around you or close to you, while others may attack you, their host. Thoughts and feelings you have about your life then become deeply negative and self-destructive. Illnesses and accidents are often created in this way. Some pain bodies drive their hosts to suicide. When you thought you knew a person and then you are suddenly confronted with this alien, nasty creature for the first time, you are in for quite a shock. However, if it's more important to observe it in yourself than in someone else. Watch out for any sign of unhappiness in yourself, in whatever form, it may be the awakening pain body. This can take the form of irritation, impatience, a somber mood, a desire to hurt, anger, rage, depression, a need to have some drama in your relationship, and so on. Catch it the moment it awakens from its dormant state. The pain body wants to survive, just like every other entity in existence, and it can only survive if it gets you to unconsciously identify with it. It can then rise up, take you over, become you, and live through you. It needs to get its food through you. It will feed on. Any experience that resonates with its own kind of energy, anything. That creates further pain in whatever form, anger, destructiveness, hatred, grief, emotional drama, violence, and even illness. So the pain body, when it has taken you over, will create a situation in your 30. Con S-C-I-O-U-S-N-E-S-S, T-H-E way out of pain. Life that reflects back its own energy frequency for it to feed on. Pain can only feed on pain. Pain cannot feed on joy. It finds it quite indigestible. Once the pain body has taken you over, you want more pain. You become a victim or a perpetrator. You want to inflict pain, or you want to suffer pain, or both. There isn't really much difference between the two. You are not conscious of this, of course, and will vehemently claim that you do not want pain. But look closely and you will find that your thinking and behavior are designed to keep the pain going 
for yourself and others. If you were truly conscious of it, the pattern would dissolve, for to want more pain is insanity, and nobody is concisely insane. The pain body, which is the dark shadow cast by the ego, is actor ally afraid of the light of your consciousness. It is afraid of being found out. Its survival depends on your unconscious identification. With it, as well as on your unconscious fear of facing the pain that lives in you. But if you don't face it, if you don't bring the light of your consciousness into the pain, you will be forced to relive it again and again. The pain body may seem to you like a dangerous monster that you cannot bear to look at, but I assure you that it is an insubstantial phantom that cannot prevail against the power of your presence. Some spiritual teachings state that all pain is ultimately an illusion, and this is true. The question is, is it true for you? A mere belief doesn't make it true. Do you want to experience pain for the rest of your life and keep saying that it is an illusion? Does that free you from the pain? What we are concerned with here is how you can realize this truth, that is, make it real in your own experience. So the pain body doesn't want you to observe it directly and see it for what it is. The moment you observe it, feel its energy field within you and take your attention into it, the identification is broken. A higher dimension of consciousness has come in. I call it presence. You are now the witness or the watcher of the pain body. This means that it cannot use you anymore by pretending to be you, and it can no longer replenish itself through you. You have found your own innermost strength. You have accessed the power of now. 31. The power of now. What happens to the pain body when we become conscious enough to break our identification with it? Unconsciousness creates it, consciousness transmutes it into itself. Saint Paul expressed this universal principle beautifully, everything is shown up by being exposed to the light, and whatever is exposed to the light itself becomes light. Just as you cannot fight the darkness, you cannot fight the pain body. Trying to do so would create inner conflict and thus further pain. Watching it is enough. Watching it implies accepting it as part of what is at that moment. The pain body consists of trapped life energy that has split off from your total energy field and has temporarily become autonomous through the unnatural process of mind identification. It has turned in on itself and become anti-life, like an animal trying to devour its own tail. Why do you think our civilization has become so life-destructive? But even the life-destructive forces are still life energy. When you start to disidentify and become the watcher, the pain. Body will continue to operate for a while and will try to trick you into identifying with it again. Although you are no longer energizing it through your identification, it has a certain momentum, just like a spinning wheel that will keep turning for a while even when it is no longer being propelled. At this stage, it may also create physical aches and pains in different parts of the body, but they won't last. Stay present, stay conscious. Be the ever-alert guardian of your inner space. You need to be present enough to be able to watch the pain body directly and feel its energy. It then cannot control your thinking. The moment your thinking is aligned with the energy field of the pain body, 
you are identified with it and again feeding it with your thoughts. For example, if anger is the predominant energy vibration of the pain body and you think angry thoughts, dwelling on what someone did to you or what you are going to do to him or her, then you have become unconscious and the pain body has become you. Where there is anger, there is always pain underneath. Or when a dark mood. 32. Consciousness, the way out of pain. Comes upon you and you start getting into a negative mind pattern and thinking how dreadful your life is. Your thinking has become aligned with the pain body and you have become unconscious and vulnerable to the pain body's attack. Unconscious is seven the way that I use the word here means to be identified with some mental or emotional pattern. It implies a complete absence of the watcher. Sustained conscious attention severs the link between the pain body and your thought processes and brings about the process of transmutation. It is as if the pain becomes fuel for the flame of your consciousness, which then burns more brightly as a result. This is the esoteric meaning of the ancient art of alchemy, the transmutation of base metal into gold, of suffering into consciousness. The split within is healed, and you become whole again. Your responsibility, then, is not to create further pain. Let me summarize the process. Focus attention on the feeling. Inside you. Know that it is the pain body. Accept that it is there. Don't. Think about it. Don't let the feeling turn into thinking. Don't judge or analyze. Don't make an identity for yourself out of it. Stay present and continue to be the observer of what is happening inside you. Become aware not only of the emotional pain, but also of the one who observes, the silent watcher. This is the power of the now, the power of your own conscious presence. Then see what happens. For many women, the pain body awakens particularly at the time preceding the menstrual flow. I will talk about this and the reason for it in more detail later. Right now, let me just say this. If you are able to stay alert and present at that time and watch whatever you feel within, rather than be taken over by it, it affords an opportunity for the most powerful spiritual practice and a rapid transmutation of all past pain becomes possible. 33. The power of now. Ego identification with the pain body. The process that I have just described is profoundly powerful yet simply. It could be taught to a child, and hopefully one day it will be one of the first things children learn in school. Once you have understood the basic principle of being present as the watcher of what happens inside you, and you understand it by experiencing it, you have at your disposal the most potent transformational tool. This is not to deny that you may encounter intense inner rhesus tants to disidentifying from your pain. This will be the case particularly if you have lived closely identified with your emotional pain body for most of your life and the whole or a large part of your sense of self is invested in it. What this means is that you have made an unhappy self out of your pain body and believe that this mind-made fiction is who you are. In that case, Unconscious fear of losing your identity will create strong resistance to any disidentification. Hello listener, thank you for listening to our content. 
Remember to follow us here on the platform. We prepared a graphic of the book with the author's key points and main ideas. Click that book graphic link in description now and have access to an illustrated material with simple and easy steps so you know everything about the book in minutes. In other words, you would rather be in pain. Pain, be the pain body, then take a leap into the unknown and risk losing the familiar unhappy self. Self. If this applies to you, observe the resistance within yourself. Observe the attachment to your pain. Be very alert. Observe the peku liar pleasure you derive from being unhappy. Observe the compulsion to talk or think about it. The resistance will cease if you make it concise. You can then take your attention into the pain body, stay present as the witness, and so initiate its transmutation. Only you can do this. Nobody can do it for you. But if you are fortunate enough to find someone who is intensely conscious, if you can be with them and join them in the state of presence, that can be helpful and will accelerate things. In this way, your own light will quickly grow stronger. When a log that has only just started to burn is placed next to one that is burning fiercely, and after a while they are separated again, the first log will be burning with much greater intensity. After all, it is the same fire. To be such a fire is one of the functions of a spiritual teacher. Some therapists may also be able to fulfill that function, provided that they have gone beyond the level of mind and 34. Co-N-S-C-I-O-U's N-E-S-S, T-H-E way out of pain, can create and sustain a state of intense conscious presence while they are working with you. The origin of fear. You mentioned fear as being part of our basic underlying emotional pain. How does fear arise, and why is there so much of it in people's lives? And isn't a certain amount of fear just healthy self-protection? If I didn't have a fear of fire, I might put my hand in it and get burned. The reason why you don't put your hand in the fire is not because of fear, if s because you know that you'll get burned. You don't need fear to avoid unnecessary danger, just a minimum of intelligence and common sense. For such practical matters, it is useful to apply the lessons learned in the past. Now if someone threatened you with fire or with physical violence, you might experience something like fear. This is an instinctive shrinking back from danger, but not the PSY chirological condition of fear that we are talking about here. The PSY chirological condition of fear is divorced from any concrete and true immediate danger. It comes in many forms, unease, worry, anxiety, nervousness, tension, dread, phobia, and so on. This kind of psychological fear is always of something that might happen, not of something that is happening now. You are in the here and now, while your mind is in the future. This creates an anxiety gap. And if you are Iden, typhied with your mind and have lost touch with the power and sim, plicity of the now, that anxiety gap will be your constant companion. You can always cope with the present moment, but you cannot cope with something that is only a mind projection, you cannot cope with the future. Moreover, as long as you are identified with your mind, the ego runs your life, as I pointed out earlier.
Because of its phantom nature, and despite elaborate defense mechanisms, the ego is very vulnerable and insecure, and it sees itself as constantly under threat. This, by the way, is the case even if the ego is outwardly very confident. Now, 35. The power of now. Remember that an emotion is the body's reaction to your mind. What message is the body receiving continuously from the ego, the false, mind-made self? Danger, I am under threat. And what is the emotion generated by this continuous message? Fear, of course. Fear seems to have many causes. Fear of loss, fear of failure, fear of being hurt, and so on, but ultimately all fear is the ego's fear of death, of annihilation. To the ego, death is always just around the corner. In this mind-identified state, fear of death affects every aspect of your life. For example, even such a seemingly trivial and normal thing as the compulsive need to be right in an argument and make the other person wrong, defending the mental position with which you have identified, is due to the fear of death. If you identify with a mental position, then if you are wrong, your mind-based sense of self is seriously threatened with annihilation. So you as the ego can not afford to be wrong. To be wrong is to die. Wars have been fought over this, and countless relationships have broken down. Once you have disidentified from your mind, whether you are right or wrong makes no difference to your sense of self at all, so the forcefully compulsive and deeply unconscious need to be right, which is a form of violence, will no longer be there. You can state clearly and firmly how you feel or what you think, but there will be no aggressiveness or defensiveness about it. Your sense of self is then derived from a deeper and truer place within yourself, not from the mind. Watch out for any kind of defensiveness within yourself. What are you defending? An illusory identity, an image in your mind, a fictitious entity. By making this pattern conscious, by witnessing it, you disidentify from it. In the light of your consciousness, the unconscious pattern will then quickly dissolve. This is the end of all arguments and power games, which are so corrosive to relationships. Power over others is weakness disguised as strength. True power is within, and it is available to you now. So anyone who is identified with their mind and, therefore, disconnected from their true power, their deeper self rooted in being, will have fear as their constant companion. The number of people 36. Con SC 10 US NESS, THE way out of pain. Who have gone beyond mind is as yet extremely small, so you can assume that virtually everyone you meet or know lives in a state of fear. Only the intensity of it varies. It fluctuates between anxiety and dread at one end of the scale and a vague unease and distant sense of threat at the other. Most people become conscious of it only when it takes on one of its more acute forms. The ego's search for wholeness. Another aspect of the emotional pain that is an intrinsic part of the egoic mind is a deep-seated sense of lack or incompleteness, of not being whole. In some people, this is conscious, in others unconscious. If it is conscious, 
it manifests as the unsettling and constant feeling of not being worthy or good enough. If it is unconscious, it will only be felt indirectly as an intense craving, wanting and needing. In either case, people will often enter into a compulsive pursuit of ego gratification and things to identify with in order to fill this hole they feel within. So they strive after possessions, money, success, power, recognition, or a special relationship, basically so that they can feel better about themselves, feel more complete. But even when they attain all these things, they soon find that the hole is still there, that it is bottomless. Then they are really in trouble, because they cannot delude themselves anymore. Well, they can and do, but it gets more difficult. As long as the egoic mind is running your life, you cannot truly be at ease. You cannot be at peace or fulfilled except for brief intervals when you obtained what you wanted, when a craving has just been fulfilled. Since the ego is a derived sense of self, it needs to identify with external things. It needs to be both defended and fed constantly. The most common ego identifications have to do with possessions, the work you do, social status and recognition, knowledge and edu cation, physical appearance, special abilities, relationships, personal and family history, belief systems, and often also political, nationalistic, racial, religious, and other collective identifications. None of these is you. 37. The power of now. Do you find this frightening? Or is it a relief to know this? All of these things you will have to relinquish sooner or later. Perhaps you find it as yet hard to believe, and I am certainly not asking you to believe that your identity cannot be found in any of those things. You will know the truth of it for yourself. You will know it at the latest when you feel death approaching. Death is a stripping away of all that is not you. The secret of life is to die before you die and find that there is no death. 38. Chapter 3. Moving deeply into. The now. Don't seek yourself in the mind. I feel that there is still a great deal I need to learn about the workings of my mind before I can get anywhere near full consciousness or spiritual enlightenment. No, you don't. The problems of the mind cannot be solved on the level of the mind. Once you have understood the basic dysfunction, there isn't really much else that you need to learn or understand. Studying the complexities of the mind may make you a good PSY ecologist, but doing so won't take you beyond the mind, just as the study of madness isn't enough to create sanity. You have already understood the basic mechanics of the unconscious state, identificatine with the mind, which creates a false self, the ego, as a substitute for your true self rooted in being. You become as a branch cut off from the vine, as Jesus puts it. The ego's needs are endless. It feels vulnerable and threatened and so lives in a state of fear and want. Once you know how the basic DYS function operates, there is no need to explore all its countless manifestations, no need to make it into a complex personal problem. The ego, of course, loves that. It is always seeking for something to attach itself to in order to uphold and strengthen its illusory sense of self, and it will readily attach itself to your problems. This is why, for so many people, 
a large part of their sense of self is intimately connected with their problems. Once this has happened, the last thing they want is to. 39. The power of now. Become free of them, that would mean loss of self. There can be a great deal of unconscious ego investment in pain and suffering. So once you recognize the root of unconsciousness, as identificatian with the mind, which of course includes the emotions, you step out of it. You become present. When you are present, you can allow the mind to be as it is without getting entangled in it. The mind in itself is not dysfunctional. It is a wonderful tool. Dysfunction sets in when you seek yourself in it and mistake it for who you are. It then becomes the egoic mind and takes over your whole life. End the delusion of time. It seems almost impossible to disidentify from the mind. We are all immersed in it. How do you teach a fish to fly? Here is the key. End the delusion of time. Time and mind are inseparable. Remove time from the mind and it stops, unless you choose to use it. To be identified with your mind is to be trapped in time, the compulsion to live almost exclusively through memory and anticipation. This creates an endless preoccupation with past and future and an unwillingness to honor and acknowledge the present moment and allow it to be. The compulsion arises because the past gives you an identity and the future holds the promise of salvation, of fulfillment in whatever form. Both are illusions. But without a sense of time, how would we function in this world? There would be no goals to strive toward anymore. I wouldn't even know who I am, because my past makes me who I am today. I think time is something very precious, and we need to learn to use it wisely rather than waste it. Time isn't precious at all, because it is an illusion. What you perceive as precious is not time, but the one point that is out of time, the now. That is precious indeed. The more you are focused on time, past and 40. Moving deeply into the now. Future, the more you miss the now, the most precious thing there is. Why is it the most precious thing? Firstly, because it is the only thing. If s all there is. The eternal present is the space within which your whole life unfolds, the one factor that remains constant. Life is now. There was never a time when your life was not now, nor will there ever be. Secondly, the now is the only point that can take you beyond the limited confines of the mind. It is your only point of access into the timeless and formless realm of being. Nothing exists outside the now. Aren't past and future just as real, sometimes even more real, than the present? After all, the past determines who we are, as well as how we perceive and behave in the present. And our future goals determine which actions we take in the present. I haven't yet grasped the essence of what I am saying because you are trying to understand it mentally. The mind cannot understand this. Only you can. Please just listen. Have you ever experienced, done, thought, or felt anything outside the now? Do you think you ever will? Is it possible for anything to happen, or he outside the now? The answer is obvious, is it not? 
Nothing ever happened in the past, it happened in the now. Nothing will ever happen in the future, it will happen in the now. What you think of as the past is a memory trace, stored in the mind, of a former now. When you remember the past, you reactivate a memory trace, and you do so now. The future is an imagined now, a projection of the mind. When the future comes, it comes as the now. When you think about the future, you do it now. Past and future obviously have no reality of their own. Just as the moon has no light of its own, but can only reflect the light of the sun, so are past. 41. The power of now. And future only pale reflections of the light, power, and reality of the eternal present. Their reality is borrowed, from the now the essence of what I am saying here cannot be understood by the mind. The moment you grasp it, there is a shift in consciousness from mind to being, from time to presence. Suddenly, everything feels alive, radiates energy, emanates being. The key to the spiritual dimension. In life-threatening emergency situations, the shift in consciousness from time to present sometimes happens naturally. The personality that has a past and a future momentarily recedes and is replaced by an intense conscious presence, very still, but very alert at the same time. Whatever response is needed then arises out of that state of consciousness. The reason why some people love to engage in dangerous activities, such as mountain climbing, car racing, and so on, although they may not be aware of it, is that it forces them into the now, that intensely alive state that is free of time, free of problems, free of thinking, free of the burden of the personality. Slipping away from the pre-sent moment even for a second may mean death. Unfortunately, they come to depend on a particular activity to be in that state. But you don't need to climb the north face of the Eiger. You can enter that state now. 42. Moving deeply into the now. Since ancient times, Spiritual masters of all traditions have pointed to the now as the key to the spiritual dimension. Despite this, it seems to have remained a secret. It is certainly not taught in churches and temples. If you go to a church, you may hear readings from the Gospels such as Take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself, or nobody who puts his hands to the plough and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Or you might hear the passage about the beautiful flowers that are not anxious about tomorrow, but live with ease in the timeless now and are provided for abundantly by God. The depth and radical nature of these teachings are not recognized. No one seems to realize that they are meant to be lived and so bring about a profound inner transformation. The whole essence of Zen consists in walking along the razor's edge of now to be so utterly so completely present that no problem, no suffering, nothing that is not who you are in your essence, can serve even you. In the now, in the absence of time, all your problems dissolve. Suffering needs time, it cannot survive in the now. The great Zen master Rinzai, in order to take his students at and time away from time, would often raise his finger and slowly ask, what, at this moment, is lacking? A powerful question that does not require an answer on the level of the mind. It is designed to take your attention deeply into the now. 
A similar question in the Zen Tri edition is this, if not now, when? 43. The power of now. The now is also central to the teaching of Sufism, the mystical branch of Islam. Sufis have a saying, the Sufi is the son of time present. And Rumi, the great poet and teacher of Sufism, declares, past and future veil God from our sight, burn up both of them with fire. Meister Eckhart, the 13th century spiritual teacher, summed it all up beautifully, time is what keeps the light from reaching us. There is no greater obstacle to God than time. Accessing the power of the now. A moment ago, when you talked about the eternal present and the unreality of past and future, I found myself looking at that tree outside the window. I had looked at it a few times before, but this time it was different. The external perception had not changed much, except that the colors seemed brighter and more vibrant. But there was now an added dimension to it. This is hard to explain. I don't know how, but I was aware of something invisible that I felt was the essence of that tree, its inner spirit, if you like. And somehow I was part of that. I realize now that I hadn't truly seen the tree before, just a flat and dead image of it. When I look at the tree now, some of that awareness is still present, but I can feel it slipping away. You see, the experience is already receding into the past. Can something like this ever be more than a fleeting glimpse? You were free of time for a moment. You moved into the now and therefore perceived the tree without the screen of mind. The awareness of being became part of your perception. With the timeless dimension comes a different kind of knowing, one that does not kill, the spirit that lives within every creature and everything. A knowing that does not destroy the sacredness and mystery of life but contains. 44. Moving deeply into the now. A deep love and reverence for all that is. A knowing of which the mind knows nothing. The mind cannot know the tree. It can only know facts or informat ion about the tree. My mind cannot know you, only labels, judgments, facts, and opinions about you. Being alone knows directly. There is a place for mind and mind knowledge. It is in the practical realm of day-to-day -day living. However, when it takes over all aspects of your life, including your relationships with other human beings and with nature, it becomes a monstrous parasite that, you unchecked, may well end up killing all life on the planet and finally itself by killing its host. You have had a glimpse of how the timeless can transform your perceptions. But an experience is not enough, no matter how beautiful or profound. What is needed and what we are concerned with is a permanent shift in consciousness. So break the old pattern of present moment denial and present. Moment resistance. Make it your practice to withdraw attention from past and future whenever they are not needed. Step out of the time dimension as much as possible in everyday life. If you find it hard to enter the now directly, start by observing the habitual tendency of your mind to want to escape from the now. You will observe that the future is usually imagined as either better or worse than the present. If the imagined future is better, it gives you hope or pleasurable anticipation. If it is worse, it creates anxiety.
Both are illusory. Through self-observation, more presence comes into your life automatically. The moment you realize you are not present, you are present. Whenever you are able to observe your mind, you are no longer trapped in it. Another factor has come in, something that is not of the mind, the witnessing presence. Be present as the watcher of your mind, of your thoughts and emotions, as well as your reactions in various situations. Be at least as interested in your reactions, as in the situation or person that causes you to react. Notice also how often your attention is in the past or future. Don't judge or analyze what you observe. Watch the thought. 45. The power of now. Feel the emotion, observe the reaction. Don't make a personal problem out of them. You will then feel something more powerful than any of those things that you observe, the still, observing presence itself behind the content of your mind, the silent watcher. Intense presence is needed when certain situations trigger a reaction with a strong emotional charge, such as when your self-image is threatened, a challenge comes into your life that triggers fear, things go wrong, or an emotional complex from the past is brought up. In those instances, the tendency is for you to become unconscious. The reaction or emotion takes you over, you become it. You act it out. You justify, make wrong, attack, defend, accept that it isn't you, if s the reactive pattern, the mind in its habitual survival mode. Identification with the mind gives it more energy, observation of the mind withdraws energy from it. Identification with the mind creates more time, observation of the mind opens up the dimension of the timeless. The energy that is withdrawn from the mind turns into presence. Once you can feel what it means to be present, it becomes much easier to simply choose to step out of the time dimension. Whenever time is not needed for practical purposes and move more deeply into the now, this does not impair your ability to use time. Past or future, when you need to refer to it for practical matters. Nor does it impair your ability to use your mind. In fact, it enhances it. When you do use your mind, it will be sharper, more focused. Letting go of psychological time. Learn to use time in the practical aspects of your life. We may call this clock time but immediately return to present moment awareness when those practical matters have been dealt with. In this 46 Moving deeply into the now way There will be no build-up of psychological time, which is identification with the past and continuous compulsive projection into the future. Clock time is not just making an appointment or planning a trip. It includes learning from the past so that we don't repeat the same mistakes over and over. Setting goals and working toward them. Predicting the future by means of patterns and laws, physical, mathematical and so on, learned from the past and taking appropriate action on the basis of our predictions. But even here, within the sphere of practical living, where we cannot do without reference to past and future, the present moment remains the essential factor. Any lesson from the past becomes relevant and is applied now. 
Any planning as well as working toward achieving a particular goal is done now. The enlightened person's main focus of attention is always the now, but they are still peripherally aware of time. In other words, they continue to use clock time, but are free of psychological time. Be alert as you practice this so that you do not unwittingly transform clock time into psychological time. For example, if you made a mistake in the past and learn from it now, you are using clock time. On the other hand, if you dwell on it mentally, and self-criticism, remorse, or guilt come up, then you are making the mistake into me, and mind you make it part of your sense of self, and it has become psychological time, which is always linked to a false sense of identity. Non-forgiveness necessarily implies a heavy burden of PSY logical time. If you set yourself a goal and work toward it, you are using clock time. You are aware of where you want to go, but you honor and give your fullest attention to the step that you are taking at this moment. If you then become excessively focused on the goal, perhaps because you are seeking happiness, fulfillment, or a more complete sense of self in it, the now is no longer honored. It becomes reduced to a mere stepping stone to the future with no intrinsic value. Clock time then turns into psychological time. Your life's journey is no longer an 47. The power of now. Adventure, just an obsessive need to arrive, to attain, to make it. You no longer see or smell the flowers by the wayside either, nor are you aware of the beauty and the miracle of life that unfolds all around you when you are present in the now. Jay can see the supreme importance of the now, but I cannot quite go along with you when you say that time is a complete illusion. When I say time is an illusion, my intention is not to make a philosophical statement. I am just reminding you of a simple fact, a fact so obvious that you may find it hard to grasp and may even find it meaningless. But once fully realized, it can cut like a sword through all the mind-created layers of complexity and problems. Let me say it again, the present moment is all you ever have. There is never a time when your life is not this moment. Is this not a fact? The insanity of psychological time. You will not have any doubt that psychological time is a mental dis-ease if you look at its collective manifestations. They occur, for example, in the form of ideologies such as communism, national socialism, or any nationalism, or rigid religious belief systems, which operate under the implicit assumption that the highest good lies in the future, and that therefore the end justifies the means. The end is an idea, a point in the mind-projected future, when salvation in whatever form, happiness, fulfillment, equality, liberation, and so on, will be attained. Not infrequently, the means of getting there are the enslavement, torture, and murder of people in the present. For example, it is estimated that as many as 50 million people were murdered to further the cause of communism to bring about a 48. Moving deeply into the now. Better world in Russia, China, and other countries. Two, this is a chilling example of how belief in a future heaven creates a present hell. Can there be any doubt that psychological time is a serious and dangerous mental illness? How does this mind pattern operate in your life? 
Are you always trying to get somewhere other than where you are? Is most of your doing just a means to an end? Is fulfillment always just around the corner or confined to short-lived pleasures, such as sex, food, drink, drugs, or thrills and excitement? Are you always focused on becoming, achieving, and attaining, or alternatively chasing some new thrill or pleasure? Do you believe that if you acquire more things you will become more fulfilled, good enough, or psychologically complete? Are you waiting for a man or woman to give meaning to your life? In the normal, mind-identified or unenlightened state of consciousness, the power and infinite creative potential that lie con. Sayaled in the now are completely obscured by psychological time. Your life then loses its vibrancy, its freshness, its sense of wonder. The old patterns of thought, emotion, behavior, reaction, and desire are acted out in endless repeat performances. A script in your mind that gives you an identity of sorts, but distorts or covers up the reality of the now. The mind then creates an obsession with the future, as an escape from the unsatisfactory present. Negativity and suffering have their roots in time. But the belief that the future will be better than the present is not always an illusion. The present can be dreadful, and things can get better in the future, and often they do. Usually, the future is a replica of the past. Superficial changes are possible, but real transformation is rare and depends upon whether you can become present enough to dissolve the past by accessing the power of the now. What you perceive as future is an intrinsic part of your state of consciousness now. If your mind carries a heavy burden. 49. The power of now. Of past, you will experience more of the same. The past perpetuates itself through lack of presence. The quality of your consciousness at this moment is what shapes the future, which, of course, can only be experienced as the now. You may win $10 million, but that kind of change is no more than skin deep. You would simply continue to act out the same conditioned patterns in more luxurious surroundings. Humans have learned to split the atom. Instead of killing 10 or 20 people with a wooden club, one person can now kill a million just by pushing a button. Is that real change? If it is the quality of your consciousness at this moment that determines the future, then what is it that determines the quality of your consciousness? Your degree of presence. So the only place where true change can occur and where the past can be dissolved is the now. All negativity is caused by an accumulation of psychological time and denial of the present. Unease, anxiety, tension, stress, worry, all forms of fear are caused by too much future and not enough presence. Guilt, regret, resentment, grievances, sadness, bitterness, and all forms of non-forgiveness are caused by too much past and not enough presence. Most people find it difficult to believe that a state of consciousness totally free of all negativity is possible. And yet this is the liberated state to which all spiritual teachings point. It is the promise of Salvatian, not in an illusory future, but right here and now. You may find it hard to recognize that time is the cause of your suffering or your problems. You believe that they are caused by specific situations in your life, and seen from a conventional viewpoint, this is true. 
but until you have dealt with the basic problem-making. 50. Moving deeply one in toth now. Dysfunction of the mind, its attachment to past and future, and denial of the now, problems are actually interchangeable. If all your problems or perceived causes of suffering or unhappiness were miraculously removed for you today, but you had not become more present, more conscious, you would soon find yourself with a similar set of problems or causes of suffering, like a shadow that follows you wherever you go. Ultimately, there is only one problem, the time-bound mind itself. I cannot believe that I could ever reach a point where I am completely free of my problems. You are right. You can never reach that point because you are at that point now. There is no salvation in time. You cannot be free in the future. Presence is the key to freedom, so you can only be free now. Finding the life underneath your life situation. I don't see how I can be free now. As it happens, I am extremely unhappy with my life at the moment. This is a fact, and I would be deluding myself if I tried to convince myself that all is well when it definitely isn't. To me, the present moment is very unhappy, it is not liberating at all. What keeps me going is the hope or possibility of some improvement in the future. You think that your attention is in the present moment when if s actor ally taken up completely by time. You cannot be both unhappy and fully present in the now. What you refer to as your life should more accurately be called your life situation. It is psychological time, past and future. Certain things in the past didn't go the way you wanted them to go. You are still resisting what happened in the past, and now you are resisting what is. Hope is what keeps you going, but hope keeps you focused. 51. The power of now. On the future, and this continued focus perpetuates your denial of the now and therefore your unhappiness. It is true that my present life situation is the result of things that have penned in the past, but it is still my present situation, and being stuck in it is what makes me unhappy. Forget about your life situation for a while and pay attention to your life. What is the difference? Your life situation exists in time. Your life is now. Your life situation is mind stuff your life is real. Find the narrow gate that leads to life. It is called the now. Narrow your life down to this moment. Your life situation may be full of problems, most life situations are, but find out if you have any problem at this moment. Not tomorrow or in 10 minutes, but now. Do you have a problem now? When you are full of problems, there is no room for anything new to enter, no room for a solution. So whenever you can, make some room, create some space, so that you find the life underneath your life situation. Use your senses fully. Be where you are. Look around. Just look, don't interpret. See the light, shapes, colors, textures. Be aware of the silent presence of each thing. Be aware of the space that allows everything to be. Listen to the sounds, don't judge them. Listen to the silence underneath the sounds. Touch something, anything, and feel and acknowledge its being. Observe the rhythm of your breath. 
In, feel the air flowing in and out, feel the life energy inside your body. Allow everything to be, within and without. Allow the isness of all things. Move deeply into the now. You are leaving behind the deadening world of mental abstraction. 52. Moving deeply into the now. Of time. You are getting out of the insane mind that is draining you of life energy, just as it is slowly poisoning and destroying the earth. You are awakening out of the dream of time into the present. All problems are illusions of the mind. It feels as if a heavy burden has been lifted. A sense of lightness. I feel clear, but my problems are still there waiting for me, aren't they? They haven't been solved. Am I not just temporarily evading them? If you found yourself in paradise, it wouldn't be long before your mind would say yes, but. Ultimately, this is not about solving your problems. If it's about realizing that there are no problems, only situations, to be dealt with now, or to be left alone and accepted as part of the isness of the present moment until they change or can be dealt with. Problems are mind-made and need time to survive. They cannot survive in the actuality of the now. Focus your attention on the now and tell me what problem you have at this moment. I'm not getting any answer because it is impossible to have a problem when your attention is fully in the now. A situation that needs to be either dealt with or accepted, yes. Why make it into a problem? Why make anything into a problem? Isn't life challenging enough as it is? What do you need problems for? The mind unconsciously loves problems because they give you an identity of sorts. This is normal. 53. The power of now. And it is insane. Problem means that you are dwelling on a situation mentally without there being a true intention or possibility of taking action now and that you are unconsciously making it part of your sense of self. You become so overwhelmed by your life situation that you lose your sense of life, of being. Or you are carrying in your mind the insane burden of a hundred things that you will or may have to do in the future instead of focusing your attention on the one thing that you can do now. When you create a problem, you create pain. All it takes is a simple choice, a simple decision, no matter what happens, I will create no more pain for myself. I will create no more problems. Although it is a simple choice, it is also very radical. You won't make that choice unless you are truly fed up with suffering unless you have truly had enough. And you won't be able to go through with it unless you access the power of the now. If you create no more pain for yourself, then. You create no more pain for others. You also no longer contaminate. The beautiful earth, your inner space, and the collective human PSYHA with the negativity of problem-making. If you have ever been in a life-or-death emergency situation, you will know that it wasn't a problem. The mind didn't have time to fool around and make it into a problem. In a true emergency, the mind stops, you become totally present in the now, and something infinitely more powerful takes over. This is why there are many reports of ordinary people suddenly becoming capable of incredibly courageous deeds. In any emergency, Either you survive or you don't. 
Either way, it is not a problem. Some people get angry when they hear me say that problems are illusions. I am threatening to take away their sense of who they are. They have invested much time in a false sense of self. For many. 54. Moving deeply into the now. Years, they have unconsciously defined their whole identity in terms of their problems or their suffering. Who would they be without it? A great deal of what people say, think, or do is actually motivated by fear, which of course is always linked with having your focus on the future and being out of touch with the now. As there are no problem lems in the now, there is no fear either. Should a situation arise that you need to deal with now, your action will be clear and incisive if it arises out of present moment awareness. It is also more likely to be effective. It will not be a react time coming from the past conditioning of your mind, but an intuitive response to the situation. In other instances, when the time-bound mind would have reacted, you will find it more effective to do nothing, just stay centered in the now. A quantum leap in the evolution of consciousness. I have had glimpses of this state or freedom from mind and time that you describe, but past and future are so overwhelmingly strong that I cannot keep them out for long. The time-bound mode of consciousness is deeply embedded in the human psyche. But what we are doing here is part of a profound transformation that is taking place in the collective consciousness of the planet and beyond, the awakening of consciousness from the dream of matter, form, and separation. The ending of time. We are breaking mind patterns that have dominated human life for eons. Mind patterns that have created unimaginable suffering on a vast scale. I am not using the word evil. It is more helpful to call it unconsciousness or insanity. This breaking up of the old mode of consciousness, or rather unconsciousness. Is it something we have to do, or will it happen anyway? I mean, is this change inevitable? 55. The power of now. That's a question of perspective. The doing and the happening is in fact a single process. Because you are one with the totality of consciousness, you cannot separate the two. But there is no absolute guarantee that humans will make it. The process isn't inevitable or automatic. Your cooperation is an essential part of it. However you look at it, it is a quantum leap in the evolution of consciousness, as well as our only chance of survival as a race. The joy of being. To alert you that you have allowed yourself to be taken over by PSY geological time, you can use a simple criterion. Ask yourself, is there joy, ease, and lightness in what I am doing? If there isn't, then time is covering up the present moment, and life is perceived as a burden or a struggle. If there is no joy, ease, or lightness in what you are doing, it does not necessarily mean that you need to change what you are doing. It may be sufficient to change the how. How is always more important than what. See if you can give much more attention to the doing than to the result that you want to achieve through it. Give your fullest attention to whatever the moment presents. This implies that you also completely accept what is, because you cannot give your full attention to something and at the same time resist it. As soon as you honor the present moment, all unhappiness and struggle dissolve, 
and life begins to flow with joy and ease. When you act out of present moment awareness, whatever you do becomes imbued with a sense of quality, care, and love, even the most simply action. 56. Moving deeply into the now. So do not be concerned with the fruit of your action, just give atentian to the action itself. The fruit will come of its own accord. This is a powerful spiritual practice. In the Bhagavad Gita, one of the oldest and most beautiful spiritual teachings in existence, non-attachment to the fruit of your action is called Karma Yoga. It is described as the path of consecrated action. When the compulsive striving away from the now ceases, the joy of being flows into everything you do. The moment your Atantayan turns to the now, you feel a presence, a stillness, a peace. You no longer depend on the future for fulfillment and satisfaction. You don't look to it for salvation. Therefore, you are not attached to the results. Neither failure nor success has the power to change your inner state of being. You have found the life underneath your life situation. In the absence of psychological time, your sense of self is derived from being, not from your personal past. Therefore, the psychology can need to become anything other than who you are already is no longer there. In the world, on the level of your life situation, you may indeed become wealthy, knowledgeable, successful, free of this or that, but in the deeper dimension of being you are complete and whole now. In that state of wholeness, would we still be able or willing to pursue external goals? Of course, but you will not have illusory expectations that anything or anybody in the future will save you or make you happy. As far as your life situation is concerned, there may be things to be attained or acquired. That's the world of form, of gain and loss. Yet on a deeper level you are already complete, and when you realize that, there is a playful, joyous energy behind what you do. Being free of psychological time, you no longer pursue your goals with grim determination, driven by fear, anger, discontent, or the need to become someone. Nor will you remain inactive through fear of failure, which to the ego. 57. The power of now is loss of self. When your deeper sense of self is derived from being, when you are free of becoming, as a psychological need, neither your happiness nor your sense of self depends on the outcome, and so there is freedom from fear. You don't seek permanency where it cannot be found, in the world of form, of gain and loss, birth and death. You don't demand that situations, conditions, places, or people should make you happy, and then suffer when they don't live up to your expectations. Everything is honored, but nothing matters. Forms are born and die, yet you are aware of the eternal underneath the forms. You know that nothing real can be threatened. 3. When this is your state of being, how can you not succeed? You have succeeded already. 58. Chapter 4. Mind Strategies 4. Avoiding the now. Loss of now, the core delusion. Even if I completely accept that ultimately time is an illusion, what difference is that going to make in my life? I still have to live in a world that is completely dominated by time. 
intellectual agreement is just another belief and won't make much difference to your life. To realize this truth, you need to live it. When every cell of your body is so present that it feels vibrant with life, and when you can feel that life every moment as the joy of being, then it can be said that you are free of time. But I still have to pay the bills tomorrow, and I am still going to grow old and die just like everybody else. So how can I ever say that I am free of time? Tomorrow's bills are not the problem. The dissolution of the physical body is not a problem. Loss of now is the problem, or rather the core delusion that turns a mere situation, event, or emotion into a personal problem, and into suffering. Loss of now is loss of being. To be free of time is to be free of the psychological need of past for your identity and future for your fulfillment. It represents the most profound transformation of consciousness that you can imag in. In some rare cases, this shift in consciousness happens dramatically and radically, once and for all. When it does, it usually comes. 59. The Power of Now About through total surrender in the midst of intense suffering. Most people, however, have to work at it. When you have had your first few glimpses of the timeless state of consciousness, you begin to move back and forth between the diamond signs of time and presence. First you become aware of just how rarely your attention is truly in the now. But to know that you are not present is a great success. That knowing is presence, even if initially it only lasts for a couple of seconds of clock time before it is lost again. Then, with increasing frequency, you choose to have the focus of your consciousness in the present moment rather than in the past or future, and whenever you realize that you had lost the now, you are able to stay in it not just for a couple of seconds, but for longer periods as perceived from the external perspective of clock time. So before you are firmly established in the state of presence, which is to say before you are fully conscious, you shift back and forth for a while between con Sciousness and unconsciousness, between the state of presence and the state of mind identification. You lose the now, and you return to it, again and again. Eventually, presence becomes your predominant state. For most people, presence is experienced either never at all or only accidentally and briefly on rare occasions without being recognized for what it is. Most humans alternate not between consciousness and unconsciousness, but only between different levels of unconsciousness. Ordinary unconsciousness and deep unconsciousness. What do you mean by different levels of unconsciousness? As you probably know, in sleep you constantly move between the phases of dreamless sleep and the dream state. Similarly, in wakefulness most people only shift between ordinary unconsciousness and deep unconsciousness. What I call ordinary unconsciousness means being identified with your thought processes and emotions, your 60. Mind strategies for avoiding the now. Reactions, desires, and aversions. It is most people's normal state. In that state, you are run by the egoic mind, and you are unaware of being. It is a state not of acute pain or unhappiness, but of an almost continuous low level of unease, discontent, boredom, or nervousness, a kind of background static. You may not realize this because it is so much a part of normal living, 
Just as you are not aware of a continuous low background noise, such as the hum of an air conditioner, until it stops. When it suddenly does stop, there is a sense of relief. Many people use alcohol, drugs, sex, food, work, television, or even shopping as anesthetics in an unconscious attempt to remove the basic unease. When this happens, an activity that might be very enjoyable if used in moderation becomes imbued with a compulsive or addictive quality, and all that is ever achieved through it is extremely short-lived symptom relief. The unease of ordinary unconsciousness turns into the pain of Deep unconsciousness A state of more acute and more obvious suffering or unhappiness, when things go wrong, when the ego is threatened, or there is a major challenge, threat, or loss, real or imag end in your life situation, or conflict in a relationship. It is an intensified version of ordinary unconsciousness, different from it not in kind but in degree. In ordinary unconsciousness, habitual resistance to or denial of what is creates the unease and discontent that most people accept as normal living. When this resistance becomes intensified through some challenge or threat to the ego, it brings up intense negativity such as anger, acute fear, aggression, depression, and so on. Deep unconsciousness often means that the pain body has been triggered and that you have become identified with it. Physical violence would be impossible without deep unconsciousness. It can also occur easily whenever and wherever a crowd of people, or even an entire nation, generates a negative collective energy field. The best indicator of your level of consciousness is how you deal with life's challenges when they come. Through those challenges, an already unconscious person tends to become more deeply uncon. 61. The power of now. Sires, and a conscious person more intensely conscious. You can use a challenge to awaken you, or you can allow it to pull you into even deeper sleep. The dream of ordinary unconsciousness then turns into a nightmare. If you cannot be present even in normal circumstances, such as when you are sitting alone in a room, walking in the woods, or Lee's tending to someone, then you certainly won't be able to stay conscious when something goes wrong, or you are faced with difficult people or situations, with loss or the threat of loss. You will be taken over by a reaction, which ultimately is always some form of fear, and pulled into deep unconsciousness. Those challenges are your tests. Only the way in which you deal with them will show you and others where you are at as far as your state of consciousness is concerned, not how long you can sit with your eyes closed or what visions you see. So it is essential to bring more consciousness into your life in ordinary situations when everything is going relatively smoothly. In this way, you grow in presence power. It generates an energy field in you and around you of a high vibrational frequency. No unconsciousness, no negativity, no discord or violence can enter that field and survive, just as darkness cannot survive in the presence of light. When you learn to be the witness of your thoughts and emotions, which is an essential part of being present, you may be surprised when you first become aware of the background static of ordinary unconsciousness and realize how rarely, if ever, you are truly at ease within yourself. On the level of your thinking, you will find a great deal of resistance in the form of judgment, discontent, and mental projection away from the now. 
On the emotional level, there will be an undercurrent of unease, tension, boredom, or nervousness. Both are aspects of the mind in its habitual resistance mode. What are they seeking? Carl Jung tells in one office book's OFA conversation he had with a Native American chief who pointed out to him that in his perception most. 62. Mind strategies for avoiding the now. White pe people have tense faces, staring eyes, and a cruel demeanor. He said, they are always seeking something. What are they seeking? The whites always want something. They are always uneasy and restless. We don't know what they want. We think they are mad. The undercurrent of constant unease started long before the rise of Western industrial civilization, of course, but in Western civilizer Tyan, which now covers almost the entire globe, including most of the East, it manifests in an unprecedentedly acute form. It was already there at the time of Jesus, and it was there 600 years before that at the time of Buddha, and long before that. Why are you always anx IOUs? Jesus asked his disciples. Can anxious thought add a single day to your life? And the Buddha taught that the root of suffering is to be found in our constant wanting and craving. Resistance to the now as a collective dysfunction is intrinsically connected to loss of awareness of being and forms the basis of our dehumanized industrial civilization. Freud, by the way, also recognized the existence of this undercurrent of unease and wrote about it in his book Civilization and its discontents, but he did not recognize the true root of the unease and failed to realize that freedom from it is possible. This collective dysfunction has created a very unhappy and extraordinarily violent civilization that has become a threat not only to itself, but also to all life on the planet. Dissolving Ordinary Unconsciousness so how can we be free of this affliction? Make it conscious. Observe the many ways in which unease, discontent, and tension arise within you through unnecessary judgment, resistance to what is, and denial of the now. Anything unconscious dissolves when you shine the light of consciousness on it. Once you know how to dissolve ordinary unconsciousness, the light of your presence will shine brightly, and it will be much easier to deal with deep unconsciousness whenever you feel its gravitational pull. 63. The power of now. However, ordinary unconsciousness may not be easy to detect initially because it is so normal. Make it a habit to monitor your mental-emotional state through self-observation. Am I at ease at this moment? Is a good question to ask yourself frequently. Or you can ask, What's going on inside me at this moment? Be at least as interested in what goes on inside you as what happens outside. If you get the inside right, the outside will fall into place. Primary reality is within, secondary reality without. But don't answer these questions immediately. Direct your attention inward. Have a look inside yourself. What kind of thoughts is your mind producing? What do you feel? Direct your attention into the body. Is there any tension? Once you detect that there is a low level of unease, the background static, see in what way you are avoiding, resisting, or denying life, by denying the now. 
There are many ways in which people unconsciously resist the present moment. I will give you a few examples. With practice, your power of self-observation, of monitoring your inner state, will become sharpened. Freedom from unhappiness. Do you resent doing what you are doing? It may be your job, or you may have agreed to do something and are doing it, but part of you resents and resists it. Are you carrying unspoken resentment toward a person close to you? Do you realize that the energy you thus emanate is so harmful in its effects that you are in fact contaminating yourself, as well as those around you? Have a good look inside. Is there even the slightest trace of resentment, unwillingness? If there is, observe it on both the mental and the emotional levels. What thoughts is your mind creating around this situation? Then look at the emotion, which is the body's reaction to those thoughts. Feel the emotion. Does it feel pleasant or unpleasant? Is it an energy that you would actually choose to have inside you? Do you have a choice? Maybe you are being taken advantage of, maybe the activity you are engaged in is tedious, maybe someone close to you is dishonest. 64. Mind strategies for avoiding the now. Irritating or unconscious, but all this is irrelevant. Whether your thoughts and emotions about this situation are justified or not makes no difference. The fact is that you are resisting what is. You are macking the present moment into an enemy. You are creating unhappiness, conflict between the inner and the outer. Your unhappiness is polluting not only your own inner being and those around you, but also the collective human psyche of which you are an inseparable part. The pollution of the planet is only an outward reflection of an inner psychic pollution, millions of unconscious individuals not tacking responsibility for their inner space. Either stop doing what you are doing, speak to the person concerned and express fully what you feel, or drop the negativity that your mind has created around the situation, and that serves no purpose whatsoever except to strengthen a false sense of self. Recognizing its Futility is important. Negativity is never the optimum way of dealing with any situation. In fact, in most cases it keeps you stuck in it, blocking real change. Anything that is done with negative energy will become contaminated by it and in time give rise to more pain, more unhappiness. Furthermore, any negative inner state is contagious. Unhappiness spreads more easily than a physical disease. Through the law of resonance, it triggers and feeds latent negativity in others, unless they are immune, that is, highly conscious. Are you polluting the world or cleaning up the mess? You are responsible for your inner space, nobody else is, just as you are responsible for the planet. As within, so without, if humans clear inner pollution, then they will also cease to create outer pollution. How can we drop negativity, as you suggest? By dropping it. How do you drop a piece of hot coal that you are holding in your hand? How do you drop some heavy and useless baggage that you are carrying? By recognizing that you don't want to suffer the pain or carry the burden anymore, and then letting go of it. Deep unconsciousness, such as the pain body or other deep pain. 65. The power of now. 
such as the loss of a loved one, usually needs to be transmuted through acceptance combined with the light of your presence, your sustained attention. Many patterns in ordinary unconsciousness, on the other hand, can simply be dropped once you know that you don't want them and don't need them anymore, once you realize that you have a choice, that you are not just a bundle of conditioned reflexes. All this implies that you are able to access the power of now. Without it, you have no choice. If you call some emotions negative, aren't you creating a mental polar itty off good and bad, as you explained earlier? No. The polarity was created at an earlier stage, when your mind judged the present moment as bad, this judgment then created the negative emotion. But if you call some emotions negative, aren't you really saying that they shouldn't be there, that it's not okay to have those emotions? My understanding is that we should give ourselves permission to have whatever feelings come up, rather than judge them as had or say that we shouldn't have them. Hello, listener. Thank you for listening to our content. Remember to follow us here on the platform. We prepared a graphic of the book with the author's key points and main ideas. Click that book graphic link in description now and have access to an illustrated material with simple and easy steps so you know everything about the book in minutes.